Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is our continuation of our conference breakdown series, and today we're going to break down the Big 12. So we're going to start with the top seven teams, and at the top of the standings is undefeated Baylor. So, Jalen, why has Baylor been so successful to this point? I think it's Jared Butler. I think that's like the easiest answer. I mean, obviously, we had a discussion earlier on in the season about him being a potential like, you know, play of the year candidate. And I think that he kind of is like the steerer of the ship so far this season. I think the biggest thing, too, is that they've came up big in the games that they need to you know what i mean they've of course you have the casual like 107s to 59 against kansas state that's like you know a light day when it comes to baylor but then when you look at some of the bigger games that are a lot more important you beat oklahoma by 15 you beat texas tech by eight you beat kansas by what's that like 19 like beat kansas by like i think like eight actually be Kansas by be Kansas by eight. Be Oklahoma by Oklahoma State by a lot. <laughs> that one was that one was nasty. Eighty one to sixty six, and then even the most recent game. You know Sharif Cooper's been playing really good for Auburn, and that Auburn team definitely got humbled a little bit against Baylor. Eighty four to seventy two. So, I think the biggest thing with Baylor is the fact that it's one thing when you're a team like this to beat the teams that you're supposed to you know early in the year they're like putting up 90 to 100 points against ar pine bluff and central central arizona and alcorn state and stuff like that but like when it, the rubber met the road and they've met some of these conference opponents they've also been relatively dominant as well you know like near double digit wins if not you know games like against oklahoma state who we'll talk about a little later where the margin was significantly higher, um, about 15 points. So I think that's the biggest thing for them is they is that they have Jared Butler, number one. And I think number two would just be their continuity. In a really weird season like this, um, I think that chemistry and continuity is going to be two of the key traits that crown a champion. I think in the NCAA tournament, but also even in the NBA. Like, I think that that literally – those two traits are going to be pivotal in crowning a champion. And I think that Baylor has been able to lean on that significantly. So, I mean, we're talking about the team that probably has the best chance to take out Gonzaga with the way they're playing right now. You know, obviously in the SEC, I have a little bit of a sleeper in there in terms of a dark horse that could probably knock them off. But, I mean, Baylor's the Baylor's the team right now, and I think Jared Butler's at the helm of that. And Baylor really is the real deal. Jared Butler's averaging close to 17 points a game, five assists, just over two steals. He's shooting over 45% from the field and from three. And he's really one of the reasons why Baylor is undefeated this season. And he's shown up for conference games. He put up 21 points against Iowa State, 28 against TCU, 30 against Kansas, 22 against Oklahoma State. I think he has the potential to become the national player of the year but he has to keep performing in these conference games and it continues against te- uh, Texas tomorrow. 
And they have other double-digit scorers on this team, like Masio Teague, who's averaging 15 points a game, Davion Mitchell, who leads the team in assists and averages close to 13 points a game, and Adam Flagler, who averages 10 points a game. This team has also has multiple guys with over a steal a game and some with two, and this team can also shoot the ball efficiently from the field at 50% and efficiently from three at 43%. So this seems like the most complete team outside of Gonzaga. Yeah, I mean, that's the biggest thing too, and I'm glad you read out some of their shooting splits because I think the biggest thing about them is that it is – I don't know, Ryan, I don't know if anybody else understands this about the game of basketball, but it's extremely hard to beat somebody when they don't miss – you know what I mean? It's, it's one of those things that's very difficult to be able to hold somebody off when you're an offensive juggernaut in terms of being able to put the ball in the basket at a high clip. And then, of course, like you said beforehand, the thing about the defensive side, the fact that they're strapping up, they have a handful of guys, like you said, that are averaging two steals or more this season. So I think the biggest thing with them is that, Again, I think a lot of this goes down to continuity, but I think the biggest thing for them is the fact that they have all players firing on all cylinders. And although they might not have the same caliber of talent as Gonzaga in terms of guys who could be in the mix for, you know, their either conference awards or, of course, season-wise, looking at some of the overall across the NCAA awards, but they're one of the most dangerous teams in the country and – I mean, they're running the table against one of the more, I would say, more crouchy divisions in basketball in terms of teams that have ranked uh, ranked teams across the board that are going to definitely be in the mix come tournament time. So moving on now to our second team in Texas. Jalen, do you believe that Texas has a chance to overtake Baylor in the Big 12 standings? I think there is no shot, honestly, in terms of them being able to take overtake Baylor I think it's just because Baylor's too they, they're too balanced I think we, I mean we just touched on it the fact that they have that nice uh combination of offense and defense the fact that they're able to lean on their leader and Jared Butler the way they do um I think Texas the interesting thing about them is that they haven't gotten like a fully unlocked Greg Brown yet which is like really interesting because like he's a guy who came in and like we saw him as a legitimate NBA prospect coming into this season. And we kind of figured that Texas was going to be the kind of spot for him to allow himself to really showcase his, his, his overall skill set. This was a guy who there were rumblings during his times in the AAU circuit with Kay Cunningham, that he was just a certified dunker. Uh, there were other times where they, where he was assumed to be somebody who could be a small ball four. Um, and more so right now, he's kind of playing more so to what the stereotype is. 14 and 8 in the game against Oklahoma. Relatively good statistical put up, but I don't think it was anything, you know, necessarily crazy. In the game against Kansas State, he literally did not even play. So, I mean, there's that, which, I mean, granted, against Kansas State, we're not really saying much. But, you know, it's one of those things where, I mean, with Greg Brown, I think that you know, we just need to see a, a fully untapped Greg Brown. I mean, one of the bigger games that I touched on was, if you remember, we touched on this when it happened, and we were talking about Mac McClung and the big bucket that he hit to close out the game against Texas. In that game, he had nine and nine. Like, okay, I understand, Greg. You're, you're an athletic big, athletic wing forward that can grab boards, push pace, 
and fly high above the defense. But, dude, do you understand that Greg Brown has one assist all season? All season? I didn't even know that was, like, possible. (laughs) You usually, like, luck up into those things before you would, like, mess around and not have one at all. I mean, he, he has one all year. You would think you luck, like I said, you luck into at least an assist a game <laughs> if you play enough minutes, and he plays about 31 minutes a game. So I'm not sure what's going on with Greg. I'm not sure if he's just like saving his overall bag for the NBA, but I think that this team they got themselves a little bit of a stretch. They got Baylor next. So we'll learn a lot about them in that game. But they also have Oklahoma State right after that. And they've got Oklahoma later on in the season with West Virginia, Kansas, and a revenge game against Texas Tech to end off the year. So they got some shots to get a big bite at the apple. But I think Greg Brown needs to wake up during this conference play because, like, I think Texas could be dangerous in the Big 12. But their star player isn't really playing like a star. So they've kind of been getting away with it so far this year. And I think they could be so much better if he plays to what I think his actual standards are, which is a guy who could be a good all-around two-way wing. And don't get me wrong. I feel like Greg Brown is a great NBA prospect. I mean, he's one of four guys on this team who averages double digits in terms of scoring. But I feel like I agree with you. We haven't seen the best of him yet. I feel like tomorrow night against Baylor, we're going to see the best of him. And especially, I, I feel like I feel like Texas plays to their competition. I think that when the stakes are there, I think Texas shows up. And I think tomorrow night's going to be an interesting game. I do think Greg Brown shows up for that game. But I also think guys like Andrew Jones show up for that game. Andrew Jones is averaging 14 points a game, and he has put up double-digit scoring games ever since the loss to Villanova. Courtney Ramsey's another guy who I expect to step up. He's averaging close to 14 points a game, and he's shooting the ball over 40% from the field and from three. And I would say another guy that needs to step up is Matt Coleman. He's averaging 13 points a game. He's averaging over a steal a game. He's a guy who can get it on both sides of the floor. So I feel like to take, to take down Baylor, Texas is going to need all four of these guys to step up. I feel like specifically Greg Brown is going to have to have a big game because it would – elevate his stock possibly back into a a top 10 lottery pick but i think that this is a team effort for texas in order to get the win i mean for sure i think that's the big thing too is just the fact that it's gonna i mean against baylor you just have to be extremely disciplined as it is like you said beforehand when we were talking about their defense i think texas is gonna be their biggest focus especially with a guy like greg brown on the floor who clearly isn't really swinging the rock very much the texas's biggest uh dilemma in this game potentially is going to be avoiding turnovers i think that's going to be their biggest thing because of the fact that they are a team that plays very downhill and of course greg brown is like the leader of that in terms of this being a slash and drive team a lot of the guys on their team thrive in the middle area but i think i think what you said i want to i want to bounce back off of what you said about them stepping up like playing up to competition um, blowing out Kansas earlier in the year, beat West Virginia by two, only lose to Texas Tech by two, only lose to Oklahoma by one. Like there's their game. I mean, there was a, I think there was a, a loss to Villanova earlier in the year, um, but that was only by four. They beat UNC, who's slowly starting to tread water. They beat UNC by two points. 
And then, of course, the uh, the other big mixed game in there is the fact that they beat Oklahoma State, and that was by three. So I think I agree with you that I think when they play these top-tier opponents, whether it's win, lose, or draw, the games are always close. I mean, granted, the game against Kansas was ugly, but they were on the winning side of that game. So, of course, that works out in their favor. But other than that, whether it's win, lose, or draw, these teams, the uh, the teams that they're playing, these are close games. And I mean, again, go go back to the Texas Tech one. That one was like a miraculous finish to the game. Oklahoma, most recently, similar circumstances. Um, couple possession games that really swung, you know, the momentum really swung in the final two to three minutes of that ball game. So I think Texas has a chance to wake Baylor up with a potential upset, but in terms of catching Baylor overall in the standings, that one's obviously going to be rough because they've got a, not a substantial, you know, a bit of, a bit of space, but a good enough amount of space where I think that they can run the table for the rest of the season. So moving on now to the third team, which is Oklahoma. Jalen, I believe that this team has a lot of upside. Do you agree? So, yeah, ironically enough, right after I started gassing Alabama up, Oklahoma decided that they wanted to pour some gasoline on that fire. But instead of, you know, helping Alabama out, they started to burn them down. So, you know, with a recent five-point win over Alabama, I think that was extremely huge. Oklahoma, man, this – and we're, I'm going to talk about this later on with Iowa State, but in reverse. It's so interesting to see how far Oklahoma has come from the Trey Young days because – Back when they had Trey Young, dude, they, there was no competent basketball play around Trey Young. There was a reason why he was a guy that was averaging, you know, 20 plus points per game, double digit assists, um, and still was like floating around like four or five rebounds per game. And honestly, I think that that's one of those things that, you know, I think that's one of those things that makes Oklahoma look so good right now. Davion Harmon is a guy who stepped up huge, huge in the backcourt backcourt for them as of late. They were they he was probably the main proponent of why they were able to win that game against Alabama. He had 18-4-4. And I think that the big thing for Oklahoma is that they've been They've been in a really good spot right now in terms of being able to run the table. Austin Reeves is another guy who's been playing really, really well in that backcourt for them. And if you just look at their last couple of games as they've like come into conference play specifically, obviously uh, the Alabama was an SEC versus Big 12 situation, but they, they, they got the upper hand in that game. Beat Texas by one, which we touched on um, when talking about Texas beforehand. Big win over Kansas. And if you look a little bit further back, they they were I mean the Baylor game was ugly. They did lose to Kansas earlier on in the year, but that one was only a four point loss. They did beat West Virginia. They they barely lost to Texas Tech. Like this is a team that in the Big Twelve, like I don't think in the Big Twelve standings in terms of their record against conference opponents, it really shows up as well. This is a team similar to Texas that I think like rises up really well against their conference opponents, and I think that. They have, like I said, they have come so far from the Trey Young years of only having one guy that's relatively competent, and they're playing really well in the backcourt, and now it's kind of a flood of guys that can give you buckets, because if we just go through, I already mentioned Reeves, and I already mentioned um, Harmon, but I mean, another guy who's in there that gives them a little bit too, Elijah Harkless, guy who gives them buckets, 
um, in flurries too. Amoja Gibson, another guy who gave them like, I think like 12 points in the game against Alabama. So like they're doing like a, a backcourt by committee thing and they're all finding ways to give you double digit points per game. Now, not, not all of them are averaging double digit points per game, obviously, but on a night to night basis, you can lean on at least three guys, three guards in particular to give you the buckets that you need to be able to potentially make you know, a legitimate run against the team or even win it or even win the game. I think the interesting thing about Oklahoma and something I don't think you mentioned is that beating Alabama was their third straight top 10 win. They just Mm -hmm. beat Kansas and then they just beat Texas. And I think as a team collectively, like you've mentioned, Oklahoma has a dangerous backcourt, especially with guys like Austin Reeves, especially with guys like Devion Harmon. Austin Reeves is a bucket getter. He's averaging close to 16 points a game. He has a couple of 20-point games against Texas and Kansas. And then he put up 30 points against TCU in the second game of the season. Devion Harmon's averaging 13 points a game. He contributed to this team in the last three games against top 10 teams with wins over Kansas, Texas, and Alabama, like I mentioned. And then with other solid contributors like Brady Manick, who's averaging 11 points a game, and Yamoja Gibson, who, who had a 29-point game against West Virginia, I feel like as a whole, like I mentioned, this team this team has a lot of upside. And I kind of feel like this could be the dark horse of the Big 12 because I think coming down to this team and the next team that we're going to talk about, West Virginia, Oklahoma's one team that could really make a lot of noise, not only in the Big 12 tournament, but in the NCAA tournament. I think that's a great statement to make in terms of them being a team that could really sneak up on the rest of the conference, um, despite the fact that they're, you know, freaking ninth in the country right now, extremely hard to like sneak up on the rest of everybody when you're top 10 in the nation. But again, you mentioned having three ranked opponents back to back. Well, Ryan, they get another smack at the table on that one. They got Baylor, West Virginia, who we're about to talk about in a second, and Texas, who we've already touched on. Man, this conference is scary, bro. Like, think about that. You can be in a situation where two times in the same season, you could run into ranked opponents in multiple stretches within your own conference play. Now, I'm used to this in the ACC to a certain extent over the course of time. Even the Big Ten, who, who were, um, you know, who are just extremely dangerous and we're actually going to talk about later on um, on a different episode. But honestly, it's weird to say like any individual game will tell us a lot about who Oklahoma is as a team. Because I think that the the three game stretch you already touched on should tell us a lot, but they've got another three game stretch that I think you could argue is actually a better litmus test of who they are, especially when you throw Baylor in the mix. So it's going to be fun to see how they close out the season. They've got a pretty interesting road and then they close out with two back to back games against Oklahoma state. So that's going to be really interesting to see whether or not they split or if anybody can take the advantage. So moving on to the next team that we're going to talk about, West Virginia. Do you believe that this team has a lot of upside? 
So this one, th- West Virginia is tricky because they're a team that, unlike the other teams that we've spoken about so far, they haven't really played extremely well against the teams that you kind of want to get a good test of who they are against. They lost to Oklahoma by four. I think the fact that that was a close game was pretty huge. They beat Oklahoma State by three. I think that was a pretty good litmus test on its own. But, I mean, honestly, Kate Cunningham went off in that game. He had 25 points in that game. Not to say that they were supposed to hold it down or anything. I mean, you talk about a potential number one overall pick. But still, nonetheless, um, two-point loss to Texas. One, uh, one point win over Texas Tech, five point loss to Florida. Like they're so up and down. This is like a uh, like a uh, a waves and valleys kind of like a rifts and valleys kind of thing. Um, they're a team. Maybe this is going out on a limb in terms of the comparison because they don't necessarily have the star talent that I feel like would make you believe in them as much. But they're very similar to like a team in like Illinois where it's like you see what their peak can be against teams like, you know, Oklahoma State, obviously. But then you follow that up and you kind of look at some of their other losses and you kind of wonder what exactly is the true version of this team? You know what I mean? That I, I feel like that's something that we're still trying to get an understanding of because when you beat Texas Tech, but then you lose to Florida after, and I don't believe that Texas Tech is just the better team because of their standing. I think they're over. I think they're the overall better team right now. It kind of skews your opinion of like what's what. You know what I mean? So. West Virginia is extremely tricky because they haven't really given us a full-blown set of consistency to lean on in terms of who they're going to become come Big 12 tournament time. And I feel like the interesting thing with West Virginia is that three out of their four losses have come within five points. The other loss came against Kansas in which they had a double-digit loss. But I think individually, there's a couple players that stand out on this team. I think the first guy is Miles McBride. Mm-hmm. who averages 15 points a game and close to two steals a game. He's a guy who can get it done on both sides of the floor. Derek Culver is a double-double machine, and he has eight double-doubles this season. And he's doing this against, against good teams like Florida, Texas, Gonzaga, Oklahoma State, Richmond, and VCU. Another guy to point out, Taz Sherman, averaging close to 12 points a game. Sean McNeil averaging 10.5 points a game. And he just put up 21 points against Florida. I feel like the other interesting thing with this team is that they find ways to stay competitive in games. And I feel like they've been doing it for such a long time that we should just come to expect this out of West Virginia. And I feel like that's something that might be beneficial for the conference tournament. Yeah, I think that was a great set of points to make about the guys that stand out the most right now for that team because I think that there's a or there's a handful of guys that have really been playing up above their weight and I think the biggest one that you touched on was was Culver because I think he's going to be huge in the Big 12 because of the fact that I think big man play in this conference particularly is not very high level. Like if you look across the board, it's very guard centric across the board for this conference in particular. So I think that a guy like that 
catching his strides and good spaces. I think that that's going to be a guy that's going to tell us a lot about, you know, who this team could be. Um, I think the other thing is that I think Miles McBride, he, he is a guy who we need to find. We need to find a medium as to, or as to who Miles is. Let me like, let me explain that. So like when you look at what Miles did against Florida, nine points, six rebounds, nine assists. This was a game where Culver went off nearly 30 points. He had 28 points and 12 rebounds. McBride, I mean, he casually almost walked into a double-double, but nine, six, and nine, not necessarily sure whether or not that's his game is to turn him into a facilitator. I say that because then in the game against, against Texas, against Texas Tech, goes for 24, seven, and six. The facilitation is still there, but the 24 points is what stands out to me the most. You look at what he did against Kansas State, 18, three, and five. So like you see that he's more of a score oriented guard and the, the nine and nine game. Yes. It's, it's a one gamer situation that stands out, but he's also had a 12, three and two game against Texas. So I think we just need to find out what the true medium for this guy is as a scorer and a facilitator because he has the games where he gets six five six seven assists per game and he's getting somewhere between 18 and 22 points in the game and then we've got the other games where he's a high volume facilitator and he's getting you know even more assists like nine a game and he's not putting the ball in the basket as much and then you have the weird medium in between where he's got 12, three and two. And you're like, okay, so who is this guy? Like what version of this guy are they going to get on a nightly basis? I think that, I think that that will be a big factor in this, in this team success moving forward, because I do think that Culver is the mode of consistency, consistency for this team. But I think Miss McBride is probably the true X factor offensively in terms of how far this team can go. So moving on to our next team in Kansas and Jalen, since the loss to Texas, Kansas has only won three games, two wins against TCU, one against Oklahoma. Jalen, what is going on with Kansas? So here's the thing. I think that this is just one of those years where we kind of just have to let the NCAA run its course. Um, I finally come to grips with this in terms of some of the blue blood teams, Kentucky, Michigan State, um, obviously Kansas in that mix. Duke is also interestingly in that mix as well, where this is a oops year. This is one of those you've been good for so long. Let's humble you with circumstances. And I think that is exactly the case. Like, this is one of those situations with this team where, I mean, Lord, like you said beforehand, since beating Oklahoma, I don't know if it's just because since beating Oklahoma back on January 9th, I don't know if it's because conference play racked up or if this team just truly is a middle of the pack team in the Big 12. I mean, the Oklahoma State loss only by five points. The Baylor loss only by uh, what's it? Only by twelve points. Um, uh, that one's not worth. Actually, that one was only by eight eight points. 
Um, Oklahoma got a get back game um, where they where Oklahoma won 75 to 68. TCU is not a is not a big victory. I, I hate to keep getting on TCU. I think this is the second time I've made a joke about them so far this year. TCU is not a big victory in the Big 12. And then they get shellacked by Tennessee. For people who didn't see the game, it was 80 to 61. It was it was not cool at all. It was not good. It wasn't, it wasn't great. <laughs> and I think the biggest thing with Kansas, I think it's just simply the fact, like I said beforehand, that this is kind of a trend rather than a blimp for the blue bloods this year i think this is the year where the sneaky teams get to wake up and take reins for a year you know what i mean and it's it's not gonna get any better unfortunately in terms of conference play because they get west virginia soon uh, two games from now they get oklahoma state again they got a couple of breaks by getting iowa state a few times they get kansas state but Ryan, listen to listen to how they end the year. Texas Tech, Texas, end the season with Baylor. I I don't know about you, but I don't think any season should end with Baylor. That's just me. Like if you get if you get a choice, I don't think anybody's season should end with Baylor. So I think that the most unfortunate part is that they might be able to rack up a couple of these wins with back-to-back games against Iowa State. They get Kansas State obviously twice in this stretch as well, but they got some other teams in here that are going to really humble them. And unfortunately, this is a Kansas team that I think is going to make the NCAA tournament but I'm really concerned about their chances of getting past the first or second round. I think they're a team that can get really, really early upset. So this is, this is tough because I think Kansas has been the model of consistency in the big 12 for such a long time that I feel like this year, this may be one of their worst teams because Mm -hmm. even though they're ranked 23rd in the country, this doesn't look like a team that plays like a ranked team in the country. They've lost four out of their last five games and they've only won three since the Texas loss. And then you mentioned that they play Texas tech, Texas and Baylor. I wouldn't want to play Baylor, especially with the way that they're playing right now. And they have a chance to win the national championship this year. But I feel like the other problem with, with Kansas is that, this team doesn't have a legitimate star on this team. And I know in some cases it works. Kansas isn't doing that. And I think the one thing that it proved to me against the loss and uh, with the loss against Tennessee, Kansas needs help on both sides of the floor. And I feel like it starts with Marcus Garrett. Marcus Garrett was, I thought was going to be a huge asset to this offense I feel like he's not doing that right now. He's only averaging 10 points a game. And I would say another guy that needs to step up is Jalen Wilson. Jalen Wilson's only averaging 12 points a game and seven rebounds. One could argue he's been the bright spot for this team, but he had zero points against, against TCU in, the, in their last game in that eight-point victory. He had 10, 9, and 6 against Tennessee, and I think that he was one of the bright spots of that of that game, but... 
only putting up four points against Baylor, only putting up four points against Oklahoma State. I feel like it's it's up to guys like Jalen Wilson and Marcus Garrett to really step up. So let me ask you this, though, because this is what I find is really interesting. Do you think that a lot of what their what their lack of success is stemming from is their inability to win the rebound battle and the fact that they lost a guy who thrived in that department and a guy like Yudoka Azubuki, who ended up going to Utah, I believe, Because, I mean, this was a guy who averaged 13.7 points per game. He averaged nearly three blocks per game. And he averaged a a double-double with 10 and a half, almost 11 rebounds last season. And when you go to look at these, these most recent games, even the win against TCU that you can factor in, if you look at the game against Tennessee, they lost the rebound battle 38 to 23. You go to the game against TCU, and then when you look at that one, a little bit closer, but still they lost it 38 to 35. You go to the game against Oklahoma, another situation where they did not win the rebound battle. This one was 36 to 26. This is a theme that comes out throughout the rest of the season. If you kind of look at the splits for the rebounding department, and I think I'm starting to wonder if maybe, I mean, granted, Azubuki was a player who could argue who was arguably in the player of the year discussion most of last year but I think one of the biggest things for me is that I I understand when you lose NBA caliber talent that your team is going to take a big bit of a dip but I'm I'm starting to wonder whether or not Bill Self is having a bit of an issue adjusting his rebounding philosophy I think he got to lean on a guy like Azabuki for most of last year to be a guy who could grab offensive and defensive boards and create opportunities out of them but it looks like this year he hasn't really adopted the gang rebounding mentality and therefore they're having games where they're like having less than 30 rebounds in an entire game so I think that their lack of possessions is also something else to touch on as well. And I mean, you look at their scoring offense this year. Let's look at the last couple of games in particular. 61 points, 59 points, 68 points, 69, 70, 63. Like this is a team who like has has only cracked like 70 like once practically all year except for like you know, the few the few games earlier on the year against like Creighton, Omaha, North Dakota State, like teams that they should be putting big, big lineups on. But other than that, I mean, this is a team that is significantly tailed off from the beginning of the year where they're scoring 90 points against Gonzaga. And now they can barely crack, you know, 70 points over the last couple of games. So this is a team that's taken a really significant uh, dip, but do you think the rebounding has anything to do with that? I think that's one part of it. I think that losing Yudoka as a buike, I think that's a huge loss, especially what he brought to the team. And I feel like they don't have somebody to replace him. It's tough to say that because I feel like Kansas has been one of the top programs for such a long time where you feel like they have every position on the floor covered. But this year, with no true rebounder, I would say maybe Jalen Wilson is that guy. But with no true rebounder, this team is struggling. They don't have a lot of guys who are attacking the glass and getting rebounds on both sides of the floor. 
the other thing that you pointed out too, and I'm looking at it, since the Texas loss, they had one game where they scored 93 points against TCU, and they had one game in a loss where they scored 70. In the next three games, the most points that they scored was 69. They haven't cracked 70 in four games. So I feel like there's a lot of factors. They need a true rebounder, which they don't have right now. They have to start scoring more than 70 points, which means, like I mentioned earlier, Marcus Garrett, Jalen Wilson have to step up. And I don't think that this team is going to be a high seed if they make it, if they make it to the NCAA tournament. There's a chance that this Kansas team could end up being a seven seed by the end of the day. And I hate to have to say that, but when you can't score more than 70 points and you don't have a true rebounder, I feel like it's going to be tough to compete in a loaded Big 12 conference. Definitely tough. Definitely tough. So moving on now to our next team in Oklahoma State, who just got back Cade Cunningham. And he had a great performance against Arkansas, including the game winner. Jalen, how much does Kate Cunningham mean to this team? <laughs> Everything, dude. <laughs> I mean, that's one of those where it's like, hey, man, you might as well pencil him in for a cool 15 to 25 piece. He's going to get somewhere between five and eight assists per game. He's going to get somewhere between five and eight rebounds per game. He's he's a guy who he's a swing player. He is a swing you know how I was talking about Trey Young and his time with Oklahoma being being really the only living and breathing, you know, you know, true factor on that team once upon a team once upon a time. Oklahoma State is in a very similar set of circumstances with Cade Cunningham. Oklahoma State falls into this very um elite category of teams that somehow luckily slid onto NBA caliber talent without putting other college talent, true college talent around him. You had Trey Young with Oklahoma. You had Anthony Edwards recently with Georgia. You had Ben Simmons with LSU. There's these weird little instances where there's such high level NBA caliber talent on a college roster but the but the team around him, it it you you would almost think that like it's one of those things where you know I'll, I'll make a joke that my uh, our friend Brooks Warren always makes about selling the farm. <laughs> you would have thought they sold the farm to the rest of the recruits and just decided to pick up, you know, the leftovers for the squad because hey, I got a top three, top five NBA talent on my team, and it's like really interesting to see how this team doesn't really fit around Cade spacing wise the way he would probably thrive in yet. They still have been able to like stay afloat with and without him on the floor. But I think K cutting, means everything to this team. I think, it, I think that's obvious. I mean, at the end of the day, like I say, he's top three bare minimum overall pick in the NBA draft. It's one of those things where, like I say, he's a swing player. He's a player that literally, I think you, you've made this argument for Oklahoma State in the past when talking about needing to put them in the standings, regardless of the fact that they actually can't participate in the NCAA tournament. Cade Cunningham is a, is a guy who has showed up extremely big in some of these games that would typically swing you into the top 25 AP poll. So, again, I think he means everything to this team, honestly. And I do agree that he means 
everything to this team. And when I asked the question, I kind of wanted to see your reaction when I, <laughs> when I asked it, because he's so valuable to this team that in the games that he didn't play, which were the loss to Baylor and the win against Iowa State, there were signs that this team could have good games without him. But Cade Cunningham is the glue that holds this team together. In his first game back against Arkansas, 21 points, seven rebounds, five assists, and three steals on seven of 13 shooting from the floor and two of five shooting from three. And also five of five from the line as well. But he's such an asset to this team that I feel like if they made the tournament, he would have had some of the best games. I think he could have had 30 point games against a lot of teams. And I think that Oklahoma State, if they were slated to be in the tournament, they would probably be a six seed or a seven seed, much like Kansas. But I feel like with Kay Cunningham, they have a chance to make some noise in the Big 12 tournament and win. But unfortunately, they can't make the NCAA tournament, which is a huge loss because Oklahoma State is the team that I want to see play some of the some of the great teams that are going to be making the NCAA tournament. And I feel like Kate Cunningham really would have had a chance to shine in a lot of those games. But I feel like in terms of his draft stock, and I've mentioned this before, he's going to have to continue to step up in rivalry games this season. And also with the conference tournament, I feel like he's going to have to have some big games in order to maintain the top three lottery pick potential that he has. Yeah, I think this is a guy in Kay Cunningham who I like. I agree with you. I think that um, I feel like the tournament would have told us a lot more about who Cade is. And we're in a really unique year as it is, especially with the fact that, you know, the G, the G League Ignite guys, typically we would see them in a college setting and this would all make a ton more sense from an NBA prospect perspective. But he's in a position right now, like I think, Arguably, this situation with Oklahoma State is as similar uh, to Ben Simmons in LSU as it gets, where I don't think that him not being able to participate in the tournament or, I mean, if they had to play in the NIT, whatever the circumstances were, I don't think that necessarily will change what his stock is because of the fact that he's performed when on the court. But I definitely think that this is a guy who maybe not to the same extent could really benefit to it. But remember when bowl bowl didn't be, wasn't really a factor for Oregon come NCAA tournament time. I think that that was a time frame for bowl bowl where he could have really solidified himself as a legit first, uh, first round pick. And he missed out on that opportunity. And a lot of other guys got remembered, so to speak, because of their performances during that stretch. I think that Kate Cunningham doesn't need it as much as, um, he doesn't need it as much as Bobo does, but I think it would have presented us with something a lot, a lot more conducive in terms of taking on top tier talent. But hey, he's in the Big Twelve and they're pretty loaded in there, so we're learning about a lot about him regardless. I think. So moving on now to our last team, which is Texas Tech, Jalen. This team made the NCAA tournament championship two years ago. What do they have to do to make it to the tournament championship again? I think the biggest thing for them, right, is the fact that they've got to hunker down on their whole their own conference. We've been talking about a lot of teams in this stretch right now that are all ranked 
all dangerous, even K- even Kansas, even Kansas, as much as we had talked a little down on them, they're still 23rd in the country, and they still have a chance to run the table themselves as the season goes along because I still think that offensively they're, they're a legitimate threat in the Big 12 to be able to hunker down because they play defense. They, they're a really strong defensive team within the Big 12, I would say, uh, for whatever it's worth. But I think if they could pick up offensively, even they are dangerous. But I think Texas Tech needs to be able to run the table within their own conference. I'm not saying win every game down the stretch, but they got some games that will truly be a wake-up call for certain teams if they can really hunker down and get a dub. They got Oklahoma coming up next after getting their big win over Cam Thomas and LSU. They've got West Virginia. They've got Baylor. They've got they've – got, uh, Kansas later on in the season and they end the year off with Oklahoma State and Texas again so I think if they if they can end out the year relatively strong end out the season relatively strong going into conference tournament time with some big wins over some of these bigger name teams in their own conference I think that'll tell us about how they'll stack up against the rest of the country because honestly I don't think there's a lot of other conferences playing as well in its totality as the big 12 is right now. You know what I mean? And I, so I think that their in conference play is going to tell us a ton about who they end up becoming when they have to face off against the rest of the country in the NCAA tournament. But I think they're a legitimate threat and they've got a legitimate shot to scare some teams with some big wins, especially to close out the year with Texas and Oklahoma state. I think those will be huge. It's just crazy to see how loaded this conference is. And it's interesting that we end with Texas Tech because this was the team that almost knocked off Virginia two years ago. And this team honestly has a great chance to do it again. And I feel like it starts with Mac McClung. And I feel like when they got Mac McClung, we all knew he was going to improve he was steadily improving at his time at Georgetown. And I feel like he's been given the keys for this offense at Texas tech. And he's been able to shine 22 points against Texas, 24 points against Baylor, 30 points against West Virginia, 22 and five against LSU. Not only that, but Texas tech as a whole has been keeping it competitive with a lot of these teams in the, in the two games that I mentioned with West Virginia and Baylor, both ranked teams, they only lost to West Virginia by one and they lost to Baylor by eight. I feel like that this team, much like West Virginia likes to keep it competitive and play up to the standards and play up to the level of their competition. I think another guy to point out with this team is Terrence Shannon. Uh, He's another guy who had a great game at LSU In fact, he averaged a double-double, 23 points and 10 rebounds in the five-point win against LSU and um, put a 15 and eight against West Virginia, 14 points and seven rebounds against Texas. Texas Tech is going to have to rely heavily on their backcourt, but this is a backcourt that you want to rely on because of the talent that's coming out of it. So, Ryan, I'm going to point something out and then I'm going to put you on the spot here with a quick question too. So... Mac McClung is shooting, has, has his best shooting splits so far of his college career. He's shooting 44% from the floor, 36% from three-point land, 81% from the free throw line. Um, 
I think that tells us a lot about solo, his slow improvement. Obviously, it went from 13 points to near 16 points to now near 18 points per game um, after his two seasons with Georgetown, Georgetown, now with Texas Tech. And he's gotten an opportunity to improve as a shooter. He's playing a lot more minutes for this team than he was playing for uh, Georgetown as well. He wasn't playing any more than 27 minutes per game for Georgetown in, in the two seasons he was with uh, he was with them. He's played 30 minutes so far for this team. So he's getting more opportunities, getting more shooting chances, and he's got the green light for Texas Tech. I'm putting you in the spot with this one, but I know that we have an understanding that if we're talking about the Big 12 player of the year, Jared Butler, probably somewhere at the top, probably the top, considering they're the best team in the Big in the Big 12 and they're like the second best team in the country. Cade Cunningham, obviously, he's been a guy in and out of the lineup, but when he's on, he's on. He's number two. Could we make a very strong argument that Mac McClung is the third best player in the Big 12? Or am I jumping off a cliff with this one? There's an argument. There is an argument. And I feel like the improvement, as I mentioned, he was steadily improving. Mac McClung is a bucket getter. And we've, we've known this from his time in high school. Mac McClung has been the anchor for this team. You mentioned he's shooting 44% from the field, 36% from three. Like these are his, his best shooting splits in his college career. To say he's the third best player, I think there's an argument because he's steadily improved and he's playing on a Texas Tech team that two years ago just made the national championship. And this year they have the possibility of doing it again. And I feel like that he's going to be one of the reasons why Texas Tech ends up possibly making it that far. And he's also been one of the reasons why Texas Tech has been so good this year. His ball handling skills, as well as just being able to shoot on the perimeter, like his efficiency shooting on the perimeter. I think that those are two aspects where I feel like Mac McClung's really improved on in his college career. And now, like I mentioned, that he has the reins of the offense. Mac McClung is the real deal. And I think as, as possibly the third best player in the Big 12, he could be an underrated candidate for National Player of the Year, maybe. I Ooh. think that it could be it could be interesting, but I, <laughs> I, I think it's going to be interesting to, to see going forward, especially with Texas Tech as a team and how great they can be if they make it that far. Yeah, definitely. I, I don't think that Mac McClung is the prospect that Jamias Ramsey was for Texas Tech last year um, in terms of NBA projection. But as a as a college athlete, as a college player for Texas Tech, that boy is a problem. <laughs> Simple as that. That boy is a problem. So now moving on to our sleepers and Jalen, you've been you've been kind of teasing your sleeper with Iowa State. So. What is it about Iowa State that makes them your sleeper? So the thing about Iowa State is I don't necessarily think they are they have any real contention in in the Big 12. Like as a sleeper team, I don't see them as any threat to anybody in the Big 12. Unfortunately, they fall in the similar stance as TCU and Kansas State in terms of being a team that's going to give you um a potential tough out but on more sides, more more times than not, these top seven teams we talked about are going to get the upper hand. I just wanted to point out with Iowa State that 
as a two and nine ball club going into the rest of the season so far, they were going to be missing four starters due to COVID protocol things and stuff like that over the next couple of games. And one of the big things that I wanted to touch on is the fact that this is what the effect of losing NBA talent is for teams that don't anticipate it. The last two seasons, Iowa State had Taylor Horton Tucker, who took over the internet to start the NBA season off this year for the for the Los Angeles Lakers. And then you have Tyrese Halliburton from last season, who this year for the Sacramento Kings is arguably, arguably a top two, top three candidate for rookie of the year. So you're talking about two high-level NBA talents play different positions. And they both went out the door in consecutive years. And now the Cyclones are 0-6 in the conference, 2-9 and overall, and can't seem to buy a bucket if they're not in their own stadium 0-4 on the road. So, you know, this kind of segues away from the fact of being a sleeper, but I wanted to focus on or point out the fact that this is what the impact of losing – This is what the impact of losing NBA talent is like for teams like Iowa State that kind of have this kind of top tier talent fall in their lap unexpectedly because, hey, man, I don't know if they anticipated Tyrese Halliburton and THT to be who they who they are in the NBA. But Lord, as college players, they sure did steer the ship and Iowa State is definitely at their lowest point in probably the last four years i would say so hey man i'm not saying they gotta get some nba talent soon but like i said they are a pure example of what it looks like when you lose when that kind of influx of talent walks out your door the interesting thing is that they are kind of like the reverse of oklahoma because losing taylor horton tucker and losing tyrese halliburton those were two of your best players and I feel like they haven't been able to recover ever since they lost them. And given how successful those two players most likely will become in the NBA, I think Taylor Horton Tucker has turned out to be a great role player for the Lakers. And then Tyrese Halliburton's eventually going to get the keys to the Kings offense. I feel like those are two players where, I feel like Iowa State really could have needed right now, especially, like you mentioned, 0-6 right now in conference, 2-9 overall, 2-5 at home, 0-4 on the road. They really could have used them right now. I think it's a tough loss, but I want to point out my sleeper, who, who have also lost five games in a row, TCU. TCU at one point was 9 and 2 and 2 and 0 in conference play. Since then, they are 2 and 5 and 9 and 7 right now. I don't know where to begin with TCU because as I look at their last 5 losses, they've really only been competitive in their last 2 games, which were against Kansas and against Missouri. And then just looking at the other 3 losses as well, Oklahoma, they lose 82 to 46. Against Baylor, they lose 67 to 49. Against Kansas, they lose 93 to 64. They've only cracked 60 points in one of those losses. 
And in the other loss, they put up 98 points, but that was in overtime against Missouri. I feel like the real star of this team is RJ Nemhard, who put up solid performances in all of those games, 15 points and four rebounds against Missouri, 12 points against Kansas, 10 points and five rebounds against Oklahoma, 14 and six against Baylor, 14 points and six assists against Kansas. And then he also has multiple 20-point games this year against Kansas State, against North Dakota State, against Oklahoma State, against Providence. He's really been the bright spot for this team. And at one point, I thought TCU was a was going to be a contender in the Big 12. And I feel like they have the opportunity to turn it around. But I feel like as part of their five-game losing streak, multiple double-digit losses to Oklahoma, Baylor, and Kansas. And then you're keeping it close with Kansas again and Missouri. Something has to change with TCU. And a five-game losing streak in this conference, I feel like you're not going to go far. I mean, I agree with you. And Mike Miles is another guy who's came on strong as a recent. And maybe that'll be the key because he's been a guy that's been up and down. But he had 28-5-5 in the game against Missouri. Granted, nobody was playing defense in this game at all, 102-98. to um, But he also had a really good game against Kansas as well. He had 18-4-1 in that game. And he's slowly kind of ascending from that uh, from that spot where he's finally starting to kind of catch stride offensively he had a pretty decent start to the year, kind of tailed off a little bit, slowly kind of up and down waning. And I think he's finally starting to catch his stride again. I think they have a couple of shots. Obviously, they have Oklahoma State coming up on this next uh, coming up this next Wednesday. Um on February 3rd, they've got Baylor. That one's going to be a rough out. They've got Iowa State, who I touched on a little bit earlier. And then, I mean, after that, Texas and then Texas Tech back-to-back. They get Texas and Texas Tech back-to-back. But then they all pl- also play Texas Tech twice back-to-back <laughs> within that same three-game stretch. And then they end the season off with West Virginia and Iowa State. So they've got a chance to sneak some upsets in there. They've got a chance to play some really good basketball moving forward. I think they still have a chance to really make a play. I don't think this is a team that necessarily is going to be able to crack the tournament. But I think that they're a team that can definitely steal a win or two off of some of these ranked teams and at least at least mix up the seeding a little bit and make things a little bit more interesting. Because I think TCU is a legit player in all of this. And they've got, like I said beforehand, they've got some spots. They've definitely got some chances to, you know, really upset the apple cart in the Big 12. So transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, who do you believe is the best team in the Big 12 right now? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk podcast. Of course, make sure you subscribe to us on Apple. You rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you guys next episode. Peace.